Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Drunken PM Radio. You're probably listening to this through projectmanagement.com. I would like to thank them, as always, for being a sponsor of this podcast. This is an interview that I'm excited about and I've been waiting to do for a long time and I've been nervous to ask for it because the last time I interviewed Scott Ambler, I wasn't super happy about my performance in the interview, so I'm going to try to make up for all of that today. So, Scott, thank you for taking time out of your morning. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. So in the Agile space, you are known for a number of things, but one of them is the sort of the founder of Disciplined Agile Delivery, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, both Mark Lyons and myself are uh, co-founders or co-creators, I guess you would say, of the uh, Disciplined Agile framework. Okay. And for the folks who are listening, if you're not familiar with it, um, one of the questions that often comes up in any kind of Agile training or workshop is what do we do about scaling? And you know, you'll hear a lot of things about people talk about scrum of scrums, they'll talk about safe, disciplined agile delivery has been around for much longer, right? How long has it been in play? Uh, yeah, so so discipline agile has been around um well for internally within IBM was around, I guess, in 2008, 2009 timeframe, although that might be a bit maybe yeah, 2009 call it. Um, but then uh, publicly it was really uh, I guess it was first announced uh, officially when it when the first book came out in 2012 in, okay. in the summer of 2012. And what did it grow out of? I mean, if you if it kind of grew up in IBM, what were the things that drove the creation of it? Yeah, so so what had happened? I I was the uh, the chief methodologist for IT there for uh, um, six years, and when I was first brought in, it was to sort of help with Rob agilize Rob and uh, and more importantly to um, help cut work with customers. And uh, so myself and my team. Um, my team being some IBMers as well as some uh, business partners of ours, um, we were we were running around to organizations around the world, uh, helping them to understand this agile and lean stuff, almost always at scale, always in enterprise class situations where we were we were you know being brought in when uh, in, com- in, in complex complex situations. It wasn't the you know the small team taking on a straightforward um, you know, straightforward problem type of a situation. It was you know. Sometimes a large team, sometimes a geographically distributed team in a regulatory situation, being governed, dealing with legacy software and legacy systems and legacy cultures and and all these good complexities. So um, it was, which is you know what what organ you know what teams actually fa- are are facing these days, and we we started noticing that um, a couple things we noticed. First of all, that every team, every organization was doing this agile stuff differently. And they, they often couldn't even describe what they were doing. Like they'd, you know, they'd just say, you know, well, we're doing scrum. And then, which is almost meaningless. And <laughs> well, because, they're using the word scrum a lot, probably. Yeah, they're, they're using the word scrum, <laughs> but like scrum is a very small part of the overall picture. Yeah. And, you know, they'd be doing some scrum, you know, may or may not be doing some scrum. And then, but they'd also be doing some agile modeling, some extreme programming, some DevOps stuff, some of this, some of that, some of that. And combining and putting it together in to, to address the, the situation that they they were facing. And this was always um, a lot of work. It was always a bit problematic because they, they really weren't process experts. They were new to all this agile stuff. It was a, a weird, you know, some really weird and foreign concepts to them. And they they did the best they can. But invariably, they spent a lot of time, a lot of money um, reinventing the wheel. Okay. And and everybody's doing it differently, So which was fine. So – so these two things, everybody's doing agile differently, which is which makes a heck of a lot of sense. And everybody um, is also spending a lot of time and effort figuring it out. It it led us to believe that you know, well, there was a lot of waste going on, like a phenomenal amount of waste in these organizations going on because of this. 
And it led us to believe that, you know, there was a need for a, a framework that could help people to understand what their options were, to understand um, how to tailor and apply Agile and Lean in the situation they find themselves in and to be flexible. And it was, um, and, and at the same time, though, when we first started developing this framework, I I didn't want to put together yet another prescriptive framework like like Scrum or like Safe or like anything else okay. because um, it just doesn't, it's just not appropriate. Like it, it was very easy and, and phenomenally easy, even, even today, to observe that everybody's doing things differently. So it tells you this, this one size fits all approach, which is phenomenally easy to sell and it's attractive to, to people in the marketplace, particularly when you, you really don't have the experience yet to, to make these decisions. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be an easy sell, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't actually help much. So and can I pause it, you there for one second? Sure. So what do you, this is something that I get this question all the time. Like people will come in and say, well, we've got, you know, 50 teams and we need one way to do agile. What do you is it is it just a governance thing that drives that, or do you think that there's something else that that creates this desire for everything to be the same? It's a lot of stuff. It, it's certainly the governance issue. It's certainly um, a very serious lack of understanding of the way um, IT actually works, um, and it, it's almost always a um, just inability to observe um, what's going on. Like is um, so it's you know just to sort of beat the people up asking that question, but. Um, but it, but I, I can see the desire, right? Like and, yeah. and to also to be fair, um, we've had like the the CMMI community running around for a couple of decades now, just shooting their mouths off about repeatable processes, and that is a well, and ITIL as well. I mean, it's not just and CMMI, ITIL, yeah, right? yeah. It's a or fundamentally ISO, bad anyway. idea. Yeah. And the but it sells, right? And so if you want to sell process, if you want to sell training, if you want to sell certification, having the one official best practice way of doing things is a phenomenally coherent marketing message. So this is this is a this is a serious problem in the industry, right? So yeah. um so for the to answer your question though, so, so to so how do we address this in the DA framework would be a, a, a one 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 way to look at it. So we recognize that there is this desire to have, you know, the one official process to rule them all, like you know, Sauron and yeah. all this stuff. <laughs> um, and the so what we say is that there's nothing wrong with consistent governance, and frankly, that's quite attractive, but you, you, you have to step back and you have to observe and you have to recognize that every person is unique. As a result, every team is unique yeah. and every organization is unique. So one process to rule them all has exactly zero chance of working and has zero chance of being effective. So, so what do you do? So what we do in Discipline Agile is we give people choices. So instead of having one way, like one life cycle, one way of doing things, like we see in, say, Scrum, um, instead we say, hey, you know what, here's several different life cycles, Choose one of which is based on Scrum. Choose the one which makes the most sense for you. You know, choose, choose the best fit, not the only fit, but the best fit. Okay. And, and, then, and then, of course, tailor it from there, right, because it's a good starting point, but it's never quite perfect you've got to you got to tune and, and tweak things yourself so like in agile we we suggest that teams own their own process sure. so to own your own your process you well first of all you need to know what's for sale um i think that's an important observation yeah. and you then need to know how to how to combine it and, and how to fit it together and you know, fit these various practices and strategies together so these these are the questions that we try to answer in the discipline agile framework like fundamental issues around how does it all fit together 
how do we how do we do agile software development? So dismount delivery, um, it's all about how do we do agile software development or what we call agile solution delivery from beginning to end, and how okay. do we do it effectively in a streamlined manner? How does it all fit together, and how do we enable teams to work in a manner that reflects the situation that they face? and yet still govern those teams in a consistent manner. So that way, management can still govern and motivate and enable the teams to be successful, but not get in the way by inflicting the same process on them. All right, and, can, I, can I ask you a question now? Sure. Because the project yeah. manager in my brain is having like a seizure. Um, Good. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So yeah. um, I think that I, I totally get the idea of, and I'm trying to speak from that side of my head, Every team is its own thing, and they should pick their own way, and they should inspect and adapt and find their best solution. But if I'm at the PMO level, I've got to take the output of all those teams and find some way to communicate to management, this is what's happening in the portfolio. And if I'm trying to give them like a Gantt chart from this team and a cumulative flow from this team and burn down charts from this team, um, you know, you, you, you mentioned that having one way of governing is is a good idea, but how do I... Or how do you explain to a C-level person or somebody who's, you know, maybe middle management or a PMO person, how you're going to put all this together for them? Yeah. So, so what we do, so in this dismantle framework, so even though we support five different life cycles, um, one of the things that's common across those life cycles is a common set of milestones. Okay. And those milestones, and, and that's not, not the only part of governance, but um, those milestones are risk-based. They're not documentation-based. So that's, that's one part of it. And so a team could be following, you know, the agile scrum based life cycle, and yet they've still got these same risk based milestones as say a, a team following a, a lean Kanban based life cycle or a con or one of the continuous delivery life cycles. So you've got the same milestones. But having said that, um, these teams are still working differently. So I think, you know, so part of my message to management is to be less selfish, <laughs> um, you know, be less a little self centered and just step back and observe. So I think, I, I think it's you know for all these people that desperately want a repeatable process, the question I always, I always ask them is like, so you're telling me you would like to have a repeatable process for a team of five people, and they should follow the same process as a team of fifty and a team of five hundred. This makes sense to you somehow, or you think we should all wear the same size shoes? We should all wear the same size <laughs> shoes. Yeah, um, or do you think that a team? that is co-located working in a single room should work in the same way as a team spread across a building as the same way as a team spread across a city or across the planet. Yeah. Obviously not. Or a team that's in a non-regulatory situation versus a regulatory situation. Obviously not. Right. So we, we very quickly call BS on the, on this common process thing. Um, okay. and, and, and just walk through basic examples that, that are, that are just blatantly obvious. So then I say, okay, so, we give up on the on the repeatable process no matter what you want. Sure. Then we start working through a wait a minute. So if you're gonna govern, then what what you should what should you be governing, right? So really should we not be doing basic things like making sure the teams are spending the money wisely? Um, not on budget, but spending the money wisely, two two totally different animals. Are they delivering time to market well? Are they delivering the right level of quality? Um, what's the what's the morale like? Are they you know, stakeholder satisfaction, good stuff like that. So sure. what are we actually interested in as an organization? What are we trying to improve and what are we trying to actually govern? Um, and then we, then we recognize, well, wait a minute. So let's have, um, so you can't have common, you can't even have common metrics 
Um, you know, you gave an example of, you know, some, some teams are doing Gantt charts, other teams are doing, you know, cumulative burndown or whatever, right. um, cumulative flow diagrams. So we, we need to recognize that there are different ways that we can measure and manage and, and govern in different situations. So if somebody wants to govern, then I, you know, it's harsh, but they need to be competent enough and skilled enough to actually govern. So I'm going to put some of it back on management, back on the PMO. And, and, and Frank, it's an interesting assumption that PMO are the people that should be governing. But anyways, you well, know, maybe not governing, but they're the filter, right? They're, they're the uh, ones who are supposed to get not. all the pieces for executives. Maybe not. Okay. Um, maybe not. I think, you know, that might be a, one of the problems right away. That, so, so for example, do I really want the PMO being responsible for, for quality? Probably not, right? right? And that's a part of governance or for data governance, or for security governance, or many, many other things. So, so governance is, is it, obviously, management stuff is important, and financial stuff, and, you know, time stuff. Those are all important things that should be governed, um, and then may or may not be under the, under the, the, the guidance of the, the PMO, if, sure. if you have a PMO anymore. Um, but certainly, these other aspects of governance certainly have absolutely nothing to do with the PMO, um, and yet are still critical. So in Dispenagile, we look at the bigger picture because you, you need to optimize the whole. You, it's not just about let's justify the existence of the PMO. These team, Like a team working in an agile manner will work differently than a team working in a traditional manner. And yeah. most organizations have both types of teams and that they still need to be governed. The, uh, a team that's building a data warehouse will measure quality, will measure stakeholder satisfaction in a much different way than a team building a mobile app. Yeah. And once again, much different than a team building, you know, doing some sort of package implementation of, say, Oracle Financials or something. Sure. So now it, a common issue there is we should be measuring stakeholder satisfaction. Perhaps we should be measuring quality. We should be measuring time to market and, and a bunch of other things. Those are all common things. But we'll we'll measure those things differently. So so, for example, the the data warehousing team will have its collection of metrics that it will use to imp to monitor itself and to improve, I hope to improve, and, sure. and all good stuff, just like the mobile team will, just like the, the package implementation team will. Um, so we need to allow those teams to do the right thing in the situations that they face. Um, yet we need to roll that up the, up the food chain so that way, you know, maybe the governance folks can actually keep an eye on things and, and make things better for these teams. So what, what we do at organizations is we suggest that whoever is involved in governance they come up with categories of issues that they want to improve, like quality, time to market, whatever. And then, it, then the message to the teams is, is that we need one or two metrics or you know, one or more metrics that roll up to quality and that roll up to time to market and roll up okay. to this, All these right. categories. And then so you still can, can still do the, you know, the red light, you know, red, yellow, yeah, green light. Yeah. Um, but when you drill down the data warehousing um, dashboard, Will work will look significantly different than the mobile team dashboard because those are two different teams in different situations that are dealing with different issues. Even though they you know they still have metrics that address these various things that we're interested in. So now it get, then now it gets back to now management needs to be competent enough to actually be able to look at what this data warehousing team is doing and you know, have a good understand what's going on there versus the mobile team and so on. So this. You know, this becomes the issue. And, and it's not just a management issue, of course. I would say the exact same thing for the enterprise architecture team. Yeah. So if I'm an enterprise architect and I need to work with these various teams, I need to be able to interact with them in a manner that reflects the, the situation that they Their face. Needs. Yeah, okay. It's, that makes sense.
So exactly. so there's still somebody there still could potentially be somebody in some kind of agile governance role who is collecting the stuff and looking at how the different teams are performing against their own measurements that speak to quality or risk or satisfaction or whatever. And then exactly. they could feed that. Okay. Because I was a little concerned before when it sounded like you were placing the burden back on the silo. And I'm like, well, they don't want to. They have to read magazines and have ideas. They don't have time for all that. Well, yeah. And, 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 and considering what they get paid, yeah. um, you know. It's not um, an effective use of time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so we, we want to automate all. Yeah, so there's ways to do this, but so, but it, it gets back you know, to your original question of, you know, we want, we got 50 different teams and we want to inflict the same process on them. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Um, okay. I, you know, I, I want to vomit when I hear things like that. It's like, oh my God, and you're in charge and this is your, this is your vision. Wow. But, that, but it's, it's, it's reasonable to me. It seems reasonable to understand it because it comes out of the traditional waterfall thing where we want to control through process and minimize risk by, you know, kind of tightening all the screws. Exactly. Um, and and, and well, it doesn't that, work, but it's what yeah. we were all taught. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we need to, we need to up our game. Um, and so this is why, you know, so we, uh, so in the disciplinary framework, this is why we, we try to look at the, the full enterprise picture of, because this, these are all, you know, these organizations, these are complex adaptive systems, right? So yeah. everything has an effect on each other. And if you don't understand the implications of these levers that you're pushing on, um, very interesting things are going to happen to you. Yeah. Uh, so you need to, you need to understand the bigger picture. And unfortunately, I think it's reasonable to, to expect the governance people to understand the bigger picture. I think that's that's almost a you know the very first line item in their job description is yeah. have a handle on the bigger picture. Okay, so can I pivot and ask it? I, sure. I just used the p word. I'm sorry for that. Um, no. I would like to ask you a selfish question. So in my classes, people ask um, about scaling all the time, yeah. and I always say there's a number of different options. One of the things that I don't feel I'm good at explaining, and I would like to ask for your take on it, is how do you explain to somebody this is where disciplined agile is different than safe or less or nexus or whatever other option you want to look at? Like, what is it that's unique about disciplined agile? The uniqueness is we give options, okay. and we don't we don't prescribe things, and we so um, disciplined agile is what we call a process decision framework where we we what we do what we do in the framework is we basically say here's the issues that you need to think about so how are we going to go about exploring the scope how are we going to go about addressing changes to requirements how are we going to go about you know um doing initial architecture and stuff like and and, and many many other issues how are we going to go about finance how are we yeah. going to go about enterprise architecture and data management and all these other good things and we say for these topics here's the here's the decision points here's the issues you need to think about and for each of these decision points, here are a bunch of options and the trade-offs so, uh, associated with that. So choose the right strategy for the situation that you face. So, for example, a team that like – a five-person co-located team will make a different set of process decisions than a 50-person team spread across several buildings than a 500-person team spread across the planet. So the – so different teams in different situations make different choices, and the framework guides you through those choices. So – where um, methods like, say, uh, less or safe basically address the, the issue of how do we address large teams, like a team of teams, how do we, um, which may or may not be geographically distributed. Okay. You know, that's what they're focused on, right? And that's, that's, 
in many ways, the simple aspects of scaling. So how do you also address complicated domains? How do you also address regulatory um, stuff? How do you address different types of things? So, you know, they, they have almost nothing to say about data stuff, for example. So because the, the, the entire data management, data warehousing, database um, area in the agile space um, is a bit of a challenge because of the data people. So um, they just ignore it. Right. And they, they so they they pick and choose what they want to what they want to deal with, which is great. That's a wonderful marketing strategy, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so and then they, 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 they and they give you a prescriptive um, solution for the most part. This is the official way of doing things. Thou shalt have a have a PI planning, big room planning session. Yeah. Uh, which is an agile modeling technique, by the way. But anyway, it's just the one I get that in. Um, so <laughs> all, all stuff. Yeah. And. And so it's like, so they've got the one way of doing things, which, and, and, and they're good techniques, Sure. but are they the good techniques that make sense for your situation? So um, one of the things that we talk about is there's no such thing as a best practice ever. That's a wonderful marketing term. Right. And it's all about context. So every given practice is a great idea in some situations and is the kiss of death in others. So you, if you want to be effective, you need to pick and choose the techniques that work for you, given the context of the situation that you face. And so in Discipline Agile, we help you to understand this and to tailor accordingly. So if you're looking for a, like a simple solution, right, um, then, you know, we might not be it. But right. if you're looking for a solution that will actually meet your needs. So I, the analogy I like to use is one of um, you, you want to have a meal, right? Yeah. So. Um, you know, you want to have dinner tonight. So you've got to, you know, you can go to these prescriptive frameworks like Safe or uh, Nexus or Less, and they want to sell you the Big Mac special deal, or they, or in the, in the case of Safe, maybe they want to sell you the, the Kentucky Fried Chicken family bucket meal, you know, whatever that's called. Yeah. And they've got one, they got one solution for you. Here's the bucket meal, right? And, which is great, you know, if you love Kentucky Fried Chicken and everybody in the family loves Kentucky Fried Chicken, that gets the job done. What the heck? Um, but if you've got any allergies, if you don't want to eat Kentucky Fried Chicken for every single meal um, for the rest of your life, then you got a problem. So okay. whereas Disponential Delivery um, or in Disponential, what we say is, oh, you want a meal? Well, OK, so let's go to the grocery store. Let's you know, well, figure out what you, know, what do you want to have tonight. Oh, you want to have kitchen, chicken cacciatore tonight. Well, you need chicken. You need this. You need this. You need this. Right. Here you go. Oh, you, you want to have beef stroganoff. Okay, well, you need this, you need this, you need this, you need this. Here you go. Make your meal. So our message is different people in different situations will want to have different meals tonight. And if you want to be healthy, you make your yeah. own meal. If you don't really care about your health, then you know the Kentucky Fried Chicken Big Bucket deal is the way to go. So you're uh, teaching them how to make these decisions yeah. on their own. So when it comes to i mean i can there's a part of me that understands why if i'm going to take on something like transformation i want a fairly prescriptive solution because i don't know what the hell i'm doing and even figuring out what i'm doing is going to be so confusing for me do you have people that um i know you have a certification program but i don't know the answer to this question do you have people that will come in like if i if i want to switch you're going to help me you're going to take me to the supermarket and talk to me about this is what's going to happen if you do this this is why you might want to do that and help me make those informed choices yes we do so you're right you know there is a, a certification program to help people get the speed on this um, but we also have experienced coaches and note the word experience um, they've been around the block a few times so they've been there done that um, and it's all you know so for example you know if you want to 
if you want to learn how to cook a cook dinner tonight, you don't go and hire the 17 year old kid that's flipping hamburgers. You go and you you hire a you know you you go to a cooking class or a sous chef or or somebody and, and you get them to walk you through and maybe you get a cookbook and and stuff like that. So um so part of the solution is obviously people. Yeah. Um, having qualified, experienced you know people to that can help you through this transformation. And also, but you know, we also have in the website, we've got books. Um, we're in the process of uh, writing up uh, what we call the the Disponential Playbook. So oh, be great, a, okay. Hope and um, all good sort of stuff. So we've got a lot of we, you know we've got a lot of material out there, and we're constantly constantly updating it. But you, there's no easy solution, right? Transformations are hard. Um, they're journeys. They're not. It's not a project. It's it's a long term, multi year journey, which requires investment. It requires experimentation. It requires investing in your people. It requires um, time and you know, you know, time and ability to do. So if you're looking for an easy answer, there isn't one. Like, yeah, you, you can go out and buy the, you know, buy the the Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket meal, but that just might not get the job done. It, it's easy and it sounds great, but it, it might not get the job done for you. That's serious challenge that I see right there in the industry is there's just so much desperation in these organizations. They're looking for an easy this easy um, solution and there isn't one and, but they fall prey to these, you know, the, the, these consultants out there that might have days of training. Um, you know, there's, you can basically buy certifications well, on most of these frameworks. So that's and, like, to me, that's an interesting thing. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm a certified scrum trainer, which I feel like is a fairly impressive thing, but there are types of scaling options I can't teach because I don't do that kind of work. Like I couldn't teach yeah. your stuff cause I've not done it. Yeah, exactly. And, and nor should you. Um, but at the same time, if you, if, if you say like you look at safe, you know, any anybody off the street can take a four day safe course. And then after that, they're a certified, you know, they pass a test, which is you know, which is good. Um, right. But then they, you know, then they're qualified to teach, teach a two day safe course after that. So look at the and it's great. It's a wonderful course. This four day course is a wonderful course. Don't get me wrong. But um, look at the quality of those people. You got four entire days of training. Now you've got them out there teaching other people after four days of freaking training. Um, how can that possibly go go well? Um, and I, and, I, and we're it's just what are people thinking? Right? There, it's, this well, is it's do you really want to do you really want to be able to solve the problem, or you do, do you want to throw people at something and assume a bunch of it's going to stick? I mean, they're two different things. Let's let's reword that. Do you want to spend millions of dollars with very little chance of success, but at least it looks like you tried? Or maybe do you want to step back and still probably spend millions of dollars, but put a little bit of effort into it and have a chance at succeeding? And I, I think maybe the first step is not to park your brain at the door, right? Yeah. So like earlier, you, you started with, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing about transformations, and here I am in charge, and what, what do I do? I'm looking for a solution. Well, Okay, so maybe the first step is realize, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, maybe I should hire somebody that does know what they're doing and and get help from them. But then I need to be smart enough to know that, oh, wait a minute, somebody with only several days of training might not be the way to go. And maybe <laughs> maybe I need somebody that, you know, that's been doing Agile for 10 or 15 years. If I'm going to put this huge transformation effort, you know, into, into their hands. It's great. So we see like these um, big consulting companies now are running around with, you know, their, their legions of, of, of agile coaches and really, and, and, and like the wonderful thing, like I love LinkedIn. So 
um, whenever I whenever I'm working with a customer, and we're trying to help them hire hire coaches and good stuff like that. Um, I, I just go to LinkedIn and and if, you know because you can look at people's resumes and yeah. if they've been a you know a, pro, a PM or whatever, and then you know for years and years and years, and they've been a program manager and the you know senior person, and yeah, they might have years of experience, and then suddenly they took a a, a certified Scrum course and maybe they took a safe course, and now they're pitching themselves as a transformation coach. And and it's only been a few months. Maybe it's been a year or so. All you have to do to be an agile coach is stand up and scream, I'm an agile coach. And there you yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but, which is fine, right? If, if somebody wants to, you know, claim they're an agile coach, great. But the people hiring them should be smart enough to realize, well, wait a minute. They took a, they took training a few, you know, a few months ago or a year or so ago, and now they're pitching themselves an expert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because in, in grown up land, it takes years to get a degree in computer science or a diploma in computers, and then you're still just barely start, you're just a novice, right? Yeah. You're some kid at a school. So now, so we inherently, I hope we know that, and yet we're gonna, you know, we're we're gonna expect somebody with several days of training and maybe a few months of experience on a team where they're probably all they were probably doing is running meetings. And suddenly we're going to put put them in charge of a transformation. But, okay, so I want to go back to something you brought up earlier because I think some of this probably stems from things like if I want to get certified as an ISO auditor or somebody who can audit CMMI, that's a couple days of training. Yeah. They teach you the stuff you need to know. And so if if you were doing ITIL or CMMI or something like that and, and now you're switching over to Agile, you, a lot of people think, well, I can't do those anymore. So what's the parallel? I need some way to measure my performance. I need some way to get this theory in. Send somebody to a five-day course. They'll be an expert. Yeah. So we've dumbed things down, right? So I think it gets down to a, a matter of integrity. And yeah, so you get you get these people, they, you know, they take a two-day scrum course and then they run around telling everybody they're a certified master. After two days of training. Um, yeah, oh, the ones who take my classes are. Yeah, well, okay. no, but see, <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you look at the, oh, of course not your classes, but everybody else's <laughs> classes. Um, but, but still, like, like, like this is a, a serious integrity problem with the, with these people, right? They, you, you, like, and you just log into LinkedIn and look at how many people have CSM in their, in their title. Um, wow, you took a two-day course. Congratulations. You stayed awake in a two-day course. That's really impressive. Hard work on your end. And to be fair, employers ask for this stuff. And yeah, so this, this is the thing I want to ask you, and I know we don't have a lot of time left, but I do want to ask you this one because I, I don't have a good answer to this. Let's say that I'm somebody who, who agrees with everything you're saying, and they see the direction the company's heading, and they seem to be heading in the direction of let's throw a couple thousand, you know, whatever dollars and send people to a five-day training. And yeah. this person wants to argue for integrity to the C-level but they don't see the integrity issue. They just see I have to place a bet and I need to not get in trouble with my board. How do you how do you make the case to them um, in a way that they can understand that, look, you know what? That's not a good bet to place. Place it over here with a more mindful approach to what you're doing where you're actually determining the best course. It seems more risky. It requires more effort. Yeah, so – so that's that's an interesting question. So just to plug one of our books, um, in the exec in in an executive guide to discipline agile, we have two chapters on this very issue of how do you successfully do this. And I think the the and, and frankly, it's easily worthy of a book all by itself. But um, I think the it's got to boil down to doing a reality check. Like you know, it's taken in these organizations decades 
to get to where they are and to build up their existing processes and their existing culture and, and stuff like that. Okay. And so I think first of all, you need to recognize if it took you decades to get to wherever you are, you're not, there's no easy solution to, to dig your way out of this hole. Um, I think the, the other thing I, I like to bring up with executives is uh, really in how, how, how have other change initiatives worked out for you in the past where you went for an easy solution and knowing full well, they don't work. Right. And, yeah. and I think so inherently you've got to, and, and you got, and if they're really worried about how is this going to look to the board, well, how's it going to look to the board when it blows up in their face yet again? So I think you've got to, first thing you, you got to do a reality check and I think yeah. you've got to, you know, based on your previous experiences and go looking around of like what, what's actually worked out well for you and just have an honest conversation within the organization. And I think you can start uh, realizing that there is no easy out here, that it's going to take a long time. It's going to be a lot of work. Um, and you're, you're going to have to invest in your people. I, uh, I run into companies all the time. They don't want to invest in their staff um, or they might want to invest in their full timers, but they certainly don't want to invest in their contractors. And meanwhile, they have, uh, you know, they, most of their work is done by contractors. Yeah. And it, it's a big surprise when the, uh, it blows up in their face. So, um, well, it's, think, and it's not just money they're investing. It's also the level of effort and engagement as well. Yeah, yeah. And they need to invest in the, you know, the business side of the house needs to step up and be actively involved in how their, their hard-earned money is being spent. Um, I think we, as an industry, we have this cultural challenge that we, uh, we've been, you know, for decades now, we've been telling the, the business side of the house to not really be all that involved, like, you know, sign off on documents and stuff like that and then act yeah. surprised when things don't work out. But um, we don't really, you know, we, and and I think, and we've been telling the business to treat IT like a black box. Meanwhile, it's an, it's an integral part of the overall organization now. And like every business is a software business for the most part. Yeah. You'd be very hard pressed to find a company where, you know, the, the, the software stuff is not a, a absolutely critical aspect of the business. And yet most of the business leaders really don't understand the implications of IT. So here and here they are trying to make decisions that are going to have a serious impact on their future. So we we really need to help educate um, the business on this and we need to help them carve out time. And we we need to find ways to um, get them act actively involved with these projects, with these, you know, with these teams. Otherwise, we're going to continue to have the. The, the the challenges that we've been facing and, and we're not going to really solve the problem. And, and it's interesting. If you read any of the, the DevOps case studies and like, you know, the, the Amazons and the Ebays, of the world, all these really cool, hyper competitive organizations, their stories are all the same. Yeah. Um, it's the, you know, and stories basically, you know, at some point in the distant past, we decided to be competitive. We decided to get our act together. We got on this journey. We might've thought it was a transformation project. We qu quickly learned that that was wrong. It was really a journey and we've been making small incremental improvements over time for many, many years now. And no matter how good we are, and and and, and there's always something else they can tweak. There's always something else, yeah. and we always get better. And and meanwhile, these companies like the you know, the banks, of the world, they'll look at Amazon and go, "My God, they're so far ahead of how us. How do we, we get that? Yeah. That. And me, Amazon's going, yeah, yeah, we need to get better. <laughs> you know. Uh, well, otherwise. they decided to take the the harder road, and and it pays off. And it pays off. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They, they, they dealt with, they chose to deal with reality. Uh, and I think that this is, this I think is what organizations need to do. They need to wake up and just observe. And I'm, I'm constantly pushing my clients just observe and yeah. have an honest discussion about this. And it might not be what you want, but 
have an honest just well yeah it. even figuring out honest if it's not what you want having that level of awareness is a good thing yeah yeah exactly and, and getting everybody involved and and dealing with the bigger picture and and this is what this financial is all about we make the, we make the bigger picture obvious and it's complicated you know this is hard stuff yeah and and i think this is a an important observation as well. If when everybody tries to sell you a, a, a simple picture or a simple poster, you got to step back from that and, and say, well, Wait Canadian a sarcasm sliding in. Sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's a killer, right? Like these expectations are just out of whack and, and yet they fall for it. They fall for this marketing and, 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 in, and you inherently know it's not correct. And yet you fall, it, it's what you want to hear. And yeah, you know, this is why you fall for it. It's what you want to hear. Yeah, um, but it, it's certainly not reality. And at some point, you got to step up and you got to take responsibility for your decisions. And and you know what? And for and for those executives who are worried about what the board is thinking, the board eventually is going to force them to be accountable for those decisions yeah. that they're making. Um, so all they can do is you know put off the hatchet man for a while. But um, you know it's it's going to go poorly for you if you if you don't start dealing with the. So real we issues. want them to wake up a little bit. Yeah, you, you got to just accept the situation you're in and then act accordingly. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, so if people want to, I mean, I'm going to include, I'm going to include some links to resources for folks at the in the show notes for the podcast. But if they want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So um, either through scottambler.com. Okay. Uh, or I, th- I think the three, <coughs> excuse me, the three major earls are uh, scottambler.com. Right. Disciplinedagiledelivery.com. And disciplinedagileconsortium.org. Okay. Uh, so yeah, and and there's just a wealth of information, particularly at the the two discipline agile sites. And all I just you know just look around, understand the situation you're in, and um, I think discipline agile is going to be a, a very uh, attractive uh, strategy for you. Yeah, if they're if they're open to actually seeing what's going on and being sort of an architect of their future themselves, yeah. not just being handed a solution. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And you've got speaking events coming up. I want to try to plug some of those really quick. What's the best way for them to find out about those? Yeah. So we we list them online at disfinancialconsortium.org. Okay. Uh, I'm in in uh, March, middle of March. I'll be in England doing a uh, a disfinancial uh, workshop that'll soon be on on site. Okay. On the site, we I'm also doing a keynote at a conference there. I'm keynoting at a at a conference in May in Vermont. Okay, and then uh, we just have regular open enrollment workshops as well, um, all around the pl- all around. Cool. I'll make sure to put links for all that stuff up there too. Thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it, and uh, yeah, I hope you have a great day. Fantastic. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>